Well, tonight we're going to talk about spiritual maturity, how to grow up. How many of you ever met somebody 50 who was 20 or 20 who was 50? That doesn't happen as much, but every once in a while it happens. We say somebody's beyond their years, either direction. And so tonight we're going to talk about growing up in grace and uh, how God's will is that we continuously grow into the likeness of Jesus. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight that you're here. The great teacher of the church is the Holy Spirit of the living God. And Lord, I pray that you would settle on every heart. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand. And Lord, I pray that it, uh, this message and looking at these verses and this teaching will motivate us to want to grow into the fullness of the stature of the Son of God. Now, would you breathe a prayer, church, and just say, Lord, help me to grow up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. That's a good prayer. Well, uh, if you, okay, let me, let me do the question. How many of you have, don't have one of the growth track manuals? Anybody doesn't have one? Okay. Keep your hands up until we get it to you because we will get it to you. One, two, three. I'm seeing them. Keep, keep them up until they get it to you. How many of you don't have a pen? If you don't have a pen, you're in real trouble tonight <laughs> because we're going to be even drawing a, 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 an image of our hand. So you've got to have a pen. So anybody doesn't have a pen, don't be ashamed. All right. Now, we're on page 28, and let's just get right into this because we've got uh, some good things to cover tonight, and it's so good to see all of you on this beautiful spring day. Isn't this the way it ought to be all year long? I mean, really and truly. This is like Hawaii, and uh, it's just great. So I love this weather, but we know what's coming, don't we? Torrid heat, so soak it up. You're going to need it. Now, you'll notice on page 28... It says maturity at the top. And let's look at the purpose of this class. It says that you may become mature Christians and may fulfill God's will for you. That's Colossians 4.12. And the PH means the Phillips translation. Now, next verse, we're not to remain, we're not meant to remain as children. But grow every way into Christ. That's Ephesians 4. 14 and 15. So notice, mature Christians don't remain as children. We're going to see over and over in the Word of God that it is His will that we not remain childlike, that we quit being children tossed to and fro, as Ephesians speaks of, uh, carried around by every wind of doctrine and the cunning craftiness of men, whereby they lie in wait to deceive us, but we grow up into Him in all things. So it is God's will that Though we are babies when we're born again, just like when you're a baby as a human being, you're supposed to grow up, and we're supposed to grow spiritually into the likeness of the Son of God. So don't remain as children, but become mature Christians. Now, the focus of this class is we're going to focus on the four basic habits that every Christian needs to develop in order to grow to spiritual maturity. This class will equip you with the skills you need to begin these habits. And it will explain the tools you need to continue these habits. It's all about habits. There's bad habits, there's good habits. 
And God wants us to shake the bad ones, and he wants us to develop good ones. Amen? So what is spiritual maturity? When we talk about spiritual maturity, what is it? Well, here's what it is. Ephesians 4.13. When we come in the unity of common faith and knowledge of the Son of God, we arrive at real maturity. The measure of development, which is meant by the fullness of Christ. So it's unity in the faith, and it's growing knowledge of the Son of God. So spiritual maturity is being like Christ. Now remember, I'm, I'm going to give, I'm gonna fill in the blanks for you, and that's where you're going to need a pen. But spiritual maturity is just real simple as being like Jesus. That's spiritual maturity. For from the very beginning, Paul wrote in Romans 8, 29, from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him should become like his son. God likes Jesus so much, he wants a bunch of him. Amen? Uh, God's will for every person in this room is that we would become like Jesus. That's, his, that's, that's God's will. There's not a person who names the name of Christ here tonight that that doesn't apply to. His will for you. We're always wondering, what's the will of God? Well, here's the will of God that we should become like his son. Now, here's some facts about spiritual maturity. Newsflash, it's not automatic. How many of you know that's true? If you've been saved more than a month, you know that's not true. It's not automatic. Sometimes you wonder, am I really growing at all? And it's frustrating sometimes, right? Especially when you're in rush hour traffic and it reduces you. (laughs) It reduces you to being very fleshly unless you're growing in grace. Now, it's not automatic. Look what he says in Hebrews 5.12. You have been Christians for a long time now, and you ought to be teaching other people, but instead, you need someone to teach you. When a person is still living on milk, it shows he isn't very far along in the Christian life. He's still a baby Christian. Dies shouldn't be in there. That's a misprint. So he's still a baby Christian. He's still a baby Christian. So notice... The writer of Hebrews is frustrated that a lot of those who have been saved a long time are still children, still babies, spiritually. And they weren't growing. He said, hey, you ought to be a teacher by now, but you're still on milk. You're not even eating the meat of the word yet. You're still in diapers, spiritually speaking. And he said, this ought not to be. We ought to immediately, folks, begin to grow as soon as we're saved. We ought to immediately begin to grow. Amen? So it's not automatic. It takes time. It's a process. That's number two. It's a process. Learn to be mature. It says learn to be mature. Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I have learned contentment. I've learned patience. I've learned to pray. I've learned to get into the word of God. It's a learning process. Continue to grow, Peter says, in the grace and knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ. So learn and continue growing. That's God's will for all of us. Learn and continue growing. There's no shortcuts. Now the third thing, third fact about spiritual maturity It takes discipline. I love this verse. Take the time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. I love that. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, how many of you have seen with me 
that gym memberships are probably the biggest waste of money in all the world. I mean, you have, you know, your New Year's resolutions. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to hit the gym. And you go to one of these places, 24-hour fitness or wherever, and you slap down your money, and you've got all these good intentions. You make it three or four times, and then different things begin to get in the way of you getting there. Before long, it's a distant memory. And how many of you have noticed your body does not get in shape without discipline? As a matter of fact, it goes south without discipline. Amen? Say, where did that come from and this come from and where is that? Well, you got to take the time and the trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. It takes time. It takes trouble. It takes resolve. So if we're really big in America on staying physically fit, let me tell you what we're not big on, and that's being spiritually fit. Amen. We're just not. Well, I'll make it to church every once in a while, once or twice a month, and, and um, that's the way a lot of people do church. And uh, other than that, you know, I, I've put in my time, and I'm just going to live my life. But here's the deal. If you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to have to take time and trouble to make yourself spiritually fit. And we're going to talk about the habits that it requires tonight. Um, let's understand discipleship. What is discipleship? Well, mature believers are called disciples. That's what a mature believer is, a disciple. And I cannot be a disciple without being disciplined. Makes sense, right? Because disciple is a derivative of discipline. I cannot be a disciple without being disciplined. There is no way. I'm going to have to take the time and trouble to keep myself spiritually fit. Praying, reading the Bible, developing godly habits. Here's the deal. The more disciplined I become, God can use me. Now look at me for a minute. Potential is meaningless unless you do something with what you've got. Oh, he's got all kinds of potential. Well, big deal. He's not doing anything with it. There's a lot of people who could do amazing things for God if if they had some discipline. But you can have all kinds of potential, but until you harness that potential with discipline, then, then it's just that. It's, it's, it's potential, but it never becomes anything. The more disciplined I become, God can use me. And so the mark of a disciple is cross-bearing. Jesus said, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my what? cannot be my disciple. So what does a disciple do? A disciple disciplines himself, and a disciple also practices self-denial. Anytime something gets in the way of God's will for you or for me, the one carrying the cross says, I choose to walk with God over what I want, over what is calling to me, over what my flesh desires. I choose God instead. That's the whole idea of a cross. A cross is where things die. Amen? Amen. Across to where things die, including you. How many of you say Jesus died on the cross? Amen? Amen. But what did Paul say? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So, so what does Paul say? He says, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, but, but in God's eyes, I died with him. I was crucified with him. 
so that I pick up my cross daily and I follow him. Now, you don't hear a lot of preaching on this in today's God wants to bless you in every which way but loose. We hear a lot about blessing, but you rarely hear really good preaching on self-denial from any pulpit anymore. It's all blessing this, blessing that, blessing the other. God wants you rich. God wants you healthy. God wants you this and that. But what about if you don't die to yourself, you can't follow him. You're going to get detoured along the way. Something is going to grab your heart and your attention, and you're going to lay the cross down, and you're going to chase after your own affections. This is Christianity in the raw. Amen. Don't shout me down, church. The mark of a disciple is I'm carrying my cross. Not how much money do I have. Not what am I driving. Not what am I living in. Not how big my house is. But how dead am I to my own wants and needs when they come into conflict with the kingdom of God? That's Christianity in the raw. So how often am I to do this? That is, bear my cross daily. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Why do we have to do it daily, everybody? Let me ask you a question. Today, did something appeal to you that you knew was not God's will? It was fleshly. Something called to you. Something tempt you. Something enticed you. Let me try that again. How many liars have we got in church tonight? Because <laughs> we live in a world that is custom designed to pull fleshly triggers in our mind, right? And, and so you had an option. I can either chase down that thing that I know is of the flesh and not God's will for me, or I can pick up my cross, say no to it, and follow him. That's the whole idea. It's not this macabre, grim picture of Christianity, because isn't it funny how when you pick up your cross and deny yourself, that's when you discover true life. The narrow road, the cross-bearing road, Jesus said, leads to life. And the wide road that everybody's running down leads to death and destruction. So what is involved in cross-bearing? Whatever it takes to give Christ first place in my life. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Now let's talk about habits of a disciple. How do you grow up? How do you become more like Jesus regularly, consistently, so that at this time next year, folks, you're going to be way more mature in Christ than you are tonight. That's God's will for you. So how many of you can say, I want to be further along spiritually at this time next year than I am right now, right? All right. Well, the first way is develop disciple habits. Develop disciple habits. Colossians 3.9 says, you have put off the old self with its habits, and I put on the new self, which God is continually renewing in his own image to bring you to a full knowledge of himself. So you put off the old self, you're crucified with Christ, and now you have put on the new self, who is Jesus. And God is continue, continually renewing you 
into his image, the image of Christ, to bring you to a full knowledge of himself. You do it by disciple habits. And here's what discipleship habits are. Number one, time with God's word. Now, if you're in this church for over a month, you know I'm a broken record with this. You have to be in God's word every day. Can I say that again? Even when you're on vacation in the Bahamas and the ocean waves are rolling in and you're bagging rays and you're getting that tan and, and, and church and, and your home are, are a thousand miles away, let me, there's no vacation from God. I've noticed that if I, stay, if I seek God on vacation, it's a better vacation. Amen? Folks, we can't afford to not be in the Word every day. Jesus said, if you continue in my Word, everybody say continue. Then you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, can I tell you that in the Greek language, that is, it is in a progressive verb tense, and here's what I mean by that, that every day that you get into the Word, you are being continuously, progressively set free. Freedom is an ongoing process. Look at how they took over the promised land when they came out of the wilderness. What does it say they did? They took it city by city, step by step, day by day, month by month, year by year. God didn't give it to them all at once. He gave it to them incrementally. And so first they took Jericho. Then they took Ai. And they, and they continued to go through the promised land and took city after city. And that's how God does you and me. He, we, we, we grow in him incrementally, and we grow incrementally free. I'm freer today Amen. than I was five years ago. I'm more like Jesus. I, I trust. Some of you might disagree with that. But, but, but I'm more like Jesus than I was five years ago. Amen. Amen. I'm more patient. Oh, now God's going to test me. <laughs> I shouldn't have used that example. I, I, I'm more loving. I, I, I'm more, you know. No, uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more like Jesus than I used to be. But, but here's how I got there. Holy habits. You've got to have holy habits. And the first one is time with God's word. Second prayer. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you will ask for anything you wish and you will have it. In this way, you become my disciples. Notice the connection between remaining in him and in his words and successful prayer. Jesus links successful prayer with consistency in his word. Why? Because faith is increased by being in the word. Amen. Third, tithing. None of you can be my disciples, Jesus said, unless he gives up all of his possessions. Now, I want to paraphrase this and just simply say, when God taps you to let go of something, you pick up your cross and you let go. And I I, I shared with you last week that I've always tithed. Kathy and I tithed from the the first week that we were married. We always tithed. When we had nothing, we, we tithed. Little bits, but it was a tithe for us. But now, what I don't teach, because I can't teach it because it's not in the New Testament, is that if you don't tithe, you're cursed by God. Some people take that out of Malachi 3 and they carry it over into the New Testament where Malachi told the people 
Uh, you're cursed with a curse. Why are we cursed with a curse? Because you, have, because you haven't been giving God the tithe. I'm paraphrasing, but that was the issue. But see, that was, that was a word to Israel in a historical context. They had come back from the promised land, or not promised land, from Babylon. They had been released from Babylon. They were supposed to be rebuilding Jerusalem and, and all of that good stuff. And, and they had slacked off and they had started building their own houses and they were not carrying the tithe that God required in that day. So God says, I'm not going to bless you until you bless my work. And, you're, and he made it real strong. You're cursed with a curse. You're, it's like your money bag has holes in it. But that was for them. If it's not carried over in the new covenant, then you can't say that it's true for new covenant people. Is tithing true? Well, I think tithing 10% is, is, a, is a good grace-driven given, given, uh, thing to do. But I, I can't tell you, I'll never tell you, that if you don't do it, you're going to be cursed. I can't because it's not there. Well, y'all look at me like a calf stares at a new gate. I can't believe I'm hearing a preacher say this. Well, New Testament giving is grace-driven. It's because he has been so good to us. Freely you have received, freely give. And, and, and you know, that's everything, all the giving that I see in the New Testament was grace-driven. Uh, uh, you have a natural heart for the work of God. You want to see the work of God continue. But I'm never going to tell you. Now, if you drop money in that offering plate, your runaway child is going to come home. See, we've got to be careful that we're not teaching people you've got to buy a blessing. I'm serious. It concerns me. It really grieves me. So much is out there that if you don't sow a seed, there ain't anything going to happen for you. A money seed to this ministry or that. Now, I know I'm treading where very few dare to go. But I got to tell you, can I be honest with you? Some of the richest spiritual, mighty, powerful, Holy Ghost experiences I have ever had were when I didn't have a dime to give God. I just prayed. Wow, he answered a prayer without having to pay him. <laughs> Do you ever see anybody coming up to Jesus in the New Testament and saying, Lord, I really want to receive my sight. Here's $50 a seed. Ever? And let me ask you a question. Would Jesus have taken it? No, he would not have. I know he wouldn't have. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, there's no, the, the principle of sowing and reaping is real. Don't get me wrong there either. But I don't want you thinking that you have to pay God before anything is going to happen to you from his hand. Because sometimes, folks, isn't it true? We have nothing. Sometimes we're really whittled down and desperate. I can't go up to a homeless person in the street and say, if you don't have something to give to God, good luck, man. He saved me when I didn't have a dime. He baptized me in the Holy Spirit when I didn't have a dime. Amen. He set my heart on fire for ministry when I didn't have a dime to give. I had a visitation from God where he clearly, clearly revealed to me that I was called to preach before I had ever given a dime. Amen. I, just, I just want to give a balance to this. And this isn't even in this. I departed from the text. <laughs> but, but I want you to get it now, really. So, so, yeah, sure, so into God's work, of course. But I don't give to get. 
I do not give to God's work to get. It's never a profit motive for me. It's never an investment motive for me. I give to God's work because I want to see God's work go forward. I want to see people reached. And, if he, and, and he blesses me with peace. He blesses me with joy. He can bless me any old way he wants. But if he never blessed me with another dime, I'd still give to his work. Amen. Amen. Fellowship. That's a discipleship habit. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. Your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So what's the definition of a habit? Here it is. It is a continual, often unconscious inclination to do a certain activity acquired through frequent repetition. Remember when you decided to smoke? Some of you? It took repetition, didn't it? I used to be a smoker. I was a Marlboro kid. I started smoking when I was 14 and quit when I was 16. And I remember the first toke I took off a cigarette felt like somebody dropped a brick in my lungs. But I persevered. (laughs) And I did it again and I did it again until finally it was a habit and I had to have it. But it took repetition. All right, that's a bad habit. A good habit comes the same way. It may be hard to get up and pray. It may be hard to get in that Bible every day. But here, the day will come when it's no longer a duty, it's a delight. And that's what it is for me. I love, I mean, I can't wait every morning to to read the Bible, uh, that portion for the day, because I'm going through the Bible in a year, just like we did last year. Many of us are doing it together. So a, a, a habit is an established disposition of the character. Now, I want you to read this with me. Sow a thought. That's what we're going to read. Ready? Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Whoa. So what habits are developing in your life right now? As bad habits are developed with constant repetition, so are good ones. Now let's talk about Speaking of getting into the Bible every day, let's talk about grasping your Bible. Look what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 about itself. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God. And it is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us to do what is right. It is God's way of making us well prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. Now, here's six ways to get a grasp on your Bible reading and get your pen ready and put your hand on that blank page. And I want you just to do an outline of your hand. I already did it. There's mine. I thought, man, I got an ugly hand. I saw that hand. It just looks nubby to me. But there you go. Anyway, do that. Outline your hand, and and then we're just going to do a little illustration. And you'll notice as you're doing it, that there are six words here. Hear, read, study, memorize, meditate, and apply. Now, those are six words that have to do with Bible study. So once you've done your hand, then write on the finger, like I did here, in the middle of the finger, hear, and then in the second finger, read, third one, study, and then memorize, and then meditate. And then on the palm, you write apply. Because... With those five things, hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating, that's how you grasp 
your Bible with your spiritual hand. So say with me, hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating, and then I apply it. Now, how to hear God's word. I'm on page 32 now. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Now, here's different ways to hear God's word. We know them, but I'll read them anyway. Recorded Bible, church services and studies, sermons online or recorded, radio TV teachers, Christian books. We have so many ways to hear the word of God these days. So many translations. So many. I mean, there's so many Bibles in America. But here's the problem. We forget 95% of what we hear 72 hours later. Now, for me as a preacher, that's a little depressing. Because I preach my guts out on Sundays, you know, three, three messages in a row. And it just thrills me to know that 72 hours later, 95% of what I said is forgotten by you. That, that's why I use illustrations. Because an illustration tends to stick. All right? But how can you improve your hearing? Because I don't want you guys to be in this 95% bracket. Okay? So how do you improve your hearing? There ought to be a Roman numeral one right in front of how to improve your hearing. First, be ready and eager to hear God. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. David said, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, folks. This is how I approach the word. I approach the word every day excited. I do. And and I can say with David, and I have said with David, Lord, your words are so sweet to me. It it really is like, like spiritual honey going down into my soul. It comforts me. It gives me peace. It feeds me. It strengthens me. It encourages me. It gives me wisdom. It lightens my path. And I could go on and on with all the things the Word does as I read it. But I'm very eager, and I want you to be eager. When you get in the Word of God every day, realize it's not just any book. It's God's inspired Word. He spoke it. And it's a love letter, a huge love letter to you. And so when you open it up, You ought to be excited. Uh Uh-oh, what's the Holy Spirit going to say to me as I read this? Because something is going to jump out at me and bless me. Second, you've got to deal with attitudes that prevent hearing God. The Bible says, Jesus said, consider carefully how you listen. We can have a closed mind. Is fear, pride, or bitterness preventing me from hearing God? You know, have I got some sin in my life that is just closing me off, shutting me down? Second, a superficial mind. Am I really serious about wanting to hear God speak? Am I really serious? Because it's not like you're reading the newspaper. You're reading, you're reading a news flash from heaven. Third, do I have a preoccupied mind? Am I too busy and concerned with other things to concentrate on what God has to say? I was praying this morning. And and it was amazing to me how often the devil tried to get my thoughts distracted. I'd be on this one track praying for something, and then something would hit my mind, and I'd start thinking about something else, and I'd get way out here and realize, wait a minute, that's not what I was praying about, and I had to come back. I've noticed that the devil never tries distracting me more than he does when I'm going into my devotional time with God. 
He wants to sabotage that time with God because that's the key to growth. Third, you've got to confess any sin in your life. There's no question mark there at the end. Just mark it out. It says, get rid of all moral filth and humbly accept the word. So before I read the Bible every day, folks, truthfully, I say, God, forgive me of any thought, any word, any action, or any attitude that has been sin against you. Because those are the only four ways you can mess up. Your thoughts, your words, your actions, or your attitudes. So I ask God to forgive me for anything and point anything out before I go into the Word. Because if my spirit is not clear with God, I won't get out of the study when I'm going to otherwise, okay? Take notes on what you hear. Say with me, paper never forgets. Never, if you've got a Bible too holy to write in, get another Bible. If it's that old family Bible that weighs three tons and you just, that's what you're going through and you're afraid to write in it, get one you can write in. Because I write in my Bible every day. I mark something every day. Something jumps out at me and I make a note every day. And then you've got to act on what you hear. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. But do what you read. Do what it said. James says also, whoever does not simply listen and then forget but puts it into practice, that person will be blessed in what he does. How many of you want to be blessed? Now, he just said, if I will do the word of God, I will get blessed. Now, I like being blessed. I'd rather be blessed than cursed. So I'm going to do the word of God. If I do it, he says, you're going to be blessed in what you do. So that's how you improve your hearing. Now, how do I read God's word? I love this. Revelations 1, 3, Jesus said, Happy is the one who reads this book and obeys what is written in it. Well, how many of you not want, want to not only be blessed, but you want to be happy? Amen. So not only do they say you'll be blessed if you do the word, but you'll be happy if you read it. Amen. Amen. So how often should I read God's word? Daily. You know the answer to that. The scriptures... It says in Deuteronomy 17, shall be his constant companion. He must read from it every day of his life so that he will learn to respect the Lord his God. What does the Bible teach you? To learn to respect the Lord your God by obeying all of his commands. So being in the word daily, among other things, helps us to honor the Lord, respect the Lord, fear the Lord in a good way. Now, here's some suggestions. You can read it systematically, and we're doing that. We're going through, a, through the Bible in a year program, okay? It's great. I love it. You can read it in different translations. For reading, some suggestions are good news, living Bible, Phillips that we've been quoting from a lot tonight. But, you know, be careful of paraphrases. I know that I put this in here, but I thought twice about what I had put once I put it. Be careful with paraphrases because you want a translation. You, you want what God really said, and paraphrases a lot of times go out in left field, and it's, it's whoever wrote the paraphrase like Living Bible or the Message Bible or this new one, um, the Passion Bible. Uh, that's what, what one author wants to say about it, and it's not a translation. 
I would try the NKJV, New King James, King James if you want, that's fine, New Living Translation, NASB, the Phillips. I mean, you know, if you're going to read the Living Bible to help you better understand a verse, cool. But I'd be careful because it's watered down. Any paraphrase is watered down. I'm just telling you the truth. It's watered down. Now, read it aloud. Read it quietly to yourself. Underline or color code key verses. I have a yellow marker and I have a pen. And they're both in my lap when I'm reading my Bible. If a verse speaks to me, I underline it and I make a little note. If it just reaches out and grabs me by the throat, I pull out the yellow marker. And I mark that thing in and I date it when I read it. So that I can go back and say, wow, on that day, that thing jumped out at me and began to work in me. And that's how I get a lot of my messages for you. Okay? Choose a reading plan and stick with it. And if you want one, we've got one for you. Now, if I read approximately 20 to 25 minutes a day, I can read through the Bible once a year. If you read, I do every day, probably 20 to 25 minutes at least. Of course, I study more because of my position. But 20 to 25 minutes a day is all it takes to go through the Bible in a year. I mean, how often do you watch TV? Pure junk. Pure junk. So you can at least give 20 to 25 minutes to God's Word. Now, that's how to read it. Now, third, how do you study it? Reading it's one thing. Studying it's another. You've got to expect it to speak to you as you study and meditate on it. Expect it to speak to you. It says in Acts 17, 11, they accepted the message, how, everybody? Eagerly. Eagerly. And they studied the scriptures, how often? Paul told Timothy, be a good workman. Know what his word says and means. Of course, that's paraphrase. Rightly dividing the word of truth is the translation. The difference between reading and studying the Bible is that you use a pencil when you study. When you're just reading it, you're reading it. But when you're studying it, you've got something to write with. Use a pencil or a pen. The secret of effective Bible study is know how to ask right questions. And I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. How to ask right questions. Now, study Bibles, I've given you some examples here below. Uh, The best personal study Bible, the Life Application Bible. Uh, Thompson Chain Reference is a good one. NIV Study Bible is a good one. But the NIV is is not one of the best translations. I'd rather you read that than a paraphrase. But the NIV has some issues. But if that's the best you've got, you're good. The Disciple Study Bible is a good one. You, you can go to the bookstore uh, and, and get a good study Bible easily. Bible handbooks, you can just read those. If you want something that's really going to elaborate for you and explain things to you, a Bible handbook is a good thing to get. Other important study tools. Now, here are two of my best-kept secrets. Since we're living in the Internet age, these two sites I visit every day multiple times a day. BibleGateway.com. Everybody say with me, BibleGateway.com. Now that will give you multiple versions. If you want to see what a verse is, all you do, if you pull it up, it's going to ask you to type in, like say John 3.16. And you type it in, and it'll show you like 20 different versions. Translations and paraphrases 
of that verse. So it's great, so you don't have to have in your lap 20 different Bibles or a bunch of different translations. It's right there. Biblehub.com will give you the Greek, it'll give you the Hebrew, and it'll give you a bunch of commentaries that you can access and read on your own. Go to those two sites and play around on them for a while. They're great sites. Now, how do I memorize God's word? Proverbs says, guard my words as your most precious possession. Write them down and also keep them deep within your heart. The only way you're going to do that is memorizing God's word. Here's the benefits of memorization. It helps me resist temptation. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Second, it helps me make wise decisions. Your word is a lamp to guide me, and it's a light for my path. Oh, I need God's counsel every day, and I get it primarily from his word. It gives me wisdom. Give me somebody with an IQ that's very average and let them saturate their mind in the word of God for five years. And give me somebody with an IQ of 150 who doesn't know the Bible, and I'll put my guy up against that guy for wisdom any day of the week. Because from the word of God, it says, the word of the Lord makes wise the simple. Amen. Amen. Third, it strengthens me when I'm under stress. How many of you ever once in a while get stressed out? Amen. Your promises to me are my hope. They give me strength in all my troubles. How they refresh and revive me. Fourth, it comforts me when I'm sad. Thank God for that. Your words are what sustain me. They bring joy to my sorrowing heart and delight me. Fifth, it helps me witness to unbelievers. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks of you the reason for the hope that you have. So, those are incredible benefits. Why in the world would we not want to memorize the Bible if it gives us those benefits? Amen? Amen. When to memorize a verse? When's the best time? During your quiet time. While exercising. While waiting. At bedtime. And I could add, while waiting on I-35. <laughs> you might as well learn a foreign language or memorize your Bible. <laughs> How many of you have discerned that I don't care for I-35 right now? I live, 20, I live 20 miles north, so I come down that thing uh, too often. Anyway, how do you memorize a verse? You pick a verse that speaks to you. Remember I talked to you about it coming out and grabbing you by the throat or just touching you? You pick a verse that speaks to you. You say the reference before and after the verse. Let's try it. John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but everlasting life. John 3, 16. That's how you do it. Read the verse aloud many times. You might want to record it. Break the verse into natural phrases. Now, this is easy to do, and this is how I've memorized in the past. Let's do it with John 3, 16. God so loved the world. Then... God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Are y'all following me? I mean, I am milking this thing for everything I can get. That's how you do it. You break it into natural phrases. God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. So you go, God's condition, God's response, 
and the result for us. God's condition, he so loved us. His response, he gave his son. The result, I believe on him, I don't perish. I mean, you can take one verse and work on it for a week. So powerful is God's word. Emphasize key words. I just did that. Write down the verse and erase it a word at a time. If that's what you want to do, if that cranks your chain, do it. I don't do that one. That would frustrate me, but you can do it. (laughs) Write out the verse on a flashcard. That's a good one. Carry some cards with you at all times for review. That's a good one. Display your verses in prominent places. I do that. Verses are, are throughout my home. Um, always memorize the, the verse perfectly. That's what that should say, not word, strike out word, and add an L-Y to perfect. Always memorize the verse perfectly. Put the verse to music. Write a song. I'd sing for you, but I want you staying with me. Put the verse to music. Write a song. Get a partner so you can check with each other. Hey, get, get an accountability partner. Say, what, have you memorized your verses, our verses this week? Yeah, well, quote them to me. I did this with Kathy. And Kathy did this with me. There was a time where I was having a great mental battle. And I memorized large portions of scripture. The the whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, three chapters, memorized every word. I memorized the whole book of James, the entire book. I memorized, I wish I could say I memorized Psalms 119. I did not. (laughs) But I did memorize Psalms 19. I memorized Psalm 1. I memorized Psalms 40. I memorized large, and so I would call her, and I'd say, can you sit there for a minute? Let me just quote to you what I'm memorizing, and she was great at it, and and would say, you got it. You got it right down to every jot and tittle. You got it. You can do it. Suggested uh, beginning rate, two new verses a week. That's a good goal. Now, there's three keys to memorizing. Review, review, review. That's it. You know why? Because we remember what is important to us. We do remember what's important to us. The law you gave me means more to me. Notice it's important to him. David said the law you gave me means more to me than all the money in the world. So he memorized what was important to him. Now, Scripture memory course, the following verses, you can read these yourself. They suggest a balance in Scripture memory. There's lots of things you can focus on. If you want to memorize something about His Spirit, there's verses for you. His strength, there's more. Faithfulness, His peace, His provision, His help in temptation. I'm giving you verses for all of those. Be Christ's disciple. Here's verses, how to put Christ first. How to be separate from the world. Be steadfast. Sir, if you're, for instance, if you're having trouble separating from the world, here's verses that you can memorize to help you do it. If you're having a real struggle giving, here's verses that will help you do it. Growth in Christ-likeness, his love, his humility, purity, honesty, faith. I've given you verses for all those topics so you can memorize them. Folks, please take advantage of this because it will renew your mind and it will change your life. It will transform you. 
Now, how do you meditate in God's word? David wrote, those who are always meditating, meditating on his laws are like trees along a river bank bearing fruit. They never wither, and whatever they do prospers. Powerful. So meditation is focused thinking about a Bible verse in order to discover how I can apply its truth to my own life. Meditation is focused thinking. So why do I meditate on Scripture? It's the key to becoming like Jesus. I want everybody to say that with me. It's the key to becoming like Jesus. Proverbs 4.23, your life is shaped by your thoughts. Oh, that is so true. Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 2 Corinthians, as we contemplate, that means meditate on the Lord's glory, we are transformed into his likeness. Wow. So it's the key to becoming like Jesus. Second is the key to answer prayer. If you live your life in me, Jesus said, and my words live in your hearts, you'll ask whatever you like and it will come true for you. Third is the key to successful living. Meditate on the word day and night, God told Joshua, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and then you will be successful. Now, there's six ways to meditate on a verse, and we're, we're coming close to the end, so everybody hang tight. We're almost there. How do you meditate on a verse? First, you picture it. Visualize the scene in your mind. Visualize it. John 3, 16, it's easy for me to visualize a God in heaven looking down towards earth with his heart beating for us. God's so loved. I can just picture God with his beating heart towards us that he gave, and then I just picture Jesus on that cross and God's hands holding him out. I mean, it's so easy to visualize. And you memorize easily when you visualize. Pronounce it. You say the verse aloud. Paraphrase it. Rewrite the verse in your own words. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God loved the world so much, he gave Jesus. See how I did that? It's easy. Personalize it. Replace the pronouns or people in the verse with your own name. So let's do this. God so loved, now give your name. God so loved, Jeff. Let's try it. Do your name. God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. That if Jeff and you believes on him, Jeff will never perish. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. That just blessed me. Jeff will never perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? Isn't this fun? The word is fun. Come on, everybody. And then probe it. Now, you've never heard this, I promise. Ask the following eight questions that we're going to use an acronym called Space Pet. Sounds like Star Wars, doesn't it? But here's the acronym. Here's what you ask about a Bible or, or as you're getting uh, into the Bible. Is there any sin to confess before I read the Bible? That's the S in Space Pet. Is there a promise to claim as I read the Bible? Wow, if I believe on him, I'll be saved. There's a promise. That's the C. Or the P, I'm sorry. And then A, attitude to change. Has the word readjusted me? It, it's always going to mess with our stuff. Amen? And then C, is there a command I'm to obey? Having read the word, what can I 
do today to do the word? E, is there an example to follow? Jesus leave me an example? Paul leave me an example? Did David leave me an example? Is there an example? Is there a prayer to pray? Has the word moved me to pray? Is there an error to avoid? Has the word corrected me? Is there a truth to believe? So let me go over them again. Sin to confess. Promise to claim. Attitude to change. Command to obey. Example to follow. Prayer to pray. Error to avoid. Truth to believe. So you space pet the word. Isn't that weird? Tell that to your waitress tonight at IHOP. <laughs> What'd you learn tonight? Oh, how to space pet the word? That'll open up a conversation, I promise. <clears throat> how do you apply God's word? How do you apply God's word? Don't fool yourselves by just listening to the word. Instead, put it into practice. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be great in the kingdom of heaven, said Jesus. So how do you apply scripture? First, you ask, what did it mean to the original hearers? Second, what is the underlying timeless principle? And third, where or how could I practice that principle? Amen. Now, I just want you to turn to the next page, and this is our last page. You see this application bridge? Now, notice there is a then, and then there is a bridge, and then there is a now. The then is, of course, when the Bible was written. Then there's the timeless principles that transcend time, and centuries, and cultures, and there is a now. So notice below, there's an interpretation, there's an implication, and there's a personalization. Okay, God said it then. Let's do John three sixteen again. Jesus said to them, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. What's the interpretation? If I place my tra- trust and faith in Jesus... I will have eternal life. I will be saved. I will not go to hell. That's the interpretation. Now, how many of you can say that truth never gets old? Amen. It transcends time. It, 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 it bridges across centuries to now. So you, how do you personalize it now? It's as good for me now as it was for them then. And I'm saved. And you can do that with any of the verses in the Bible. What did it mean to them then? That's the interpretation. What is the implication for me now? God's truth, folks, never gets stale, never gets moldy. Amen. It never gets old. Amen? So write out a sentence that describes a project or an action you will take to apply the truth. And I'm just going to let you look at that and work on that. Now let me close out the page. Most applications will focus on one of three relationships with God, with myself, or with other people. And this is talking about personalizing the Word of God. I want you to try it. Four marks of a good application project are this. It's personal. It's practical. It's possible. It's provable. Four P's. Personal, practical, possible, provable. 
I can give you another one real quick. I'm going to leave you with this. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right? Now, back then, it meant the same as it means now. You can either conform to the world or you can be transformed by thinking God thoughts, by having your mind renewed to think like God. All right? So I'm going to try it. I'm going to memorize some verses and see if it renews my mind. That's personal. It's practical, it's possible, and it's provable. Are you changed after you have done those things? Amen? Amen. Now that you know these things, said Jesus, do them. That is the path of blessing. And next time we're going to talk about time with God, and we're going to finish out this section. How many of you are glad you came to church tonight? Let's stand up together, can we? Now, a lot of work went into this. I'm going to tell you, I know I say this every time, but the office staff did an incredible job with this manual. And please do, do what we're learning. Do the Word of God. Don't just hear it, but do it. And, and go back over what we've um, studied tonight. Just, just read over it, what you've written. and Because uh, I want to see you and me together, all of us together, growing up into His likeness, where there are some serious Christians in the world who are setting people free. Amen? Winning souls. Bringing glory to God. Let's lift our hands to Him. Thank you, Jesus.